We're in Ephesians, uh, not Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. And we've spent a lot of time on this, and uh, we're going to continue to spend some more uh, time on uh, this section, not, not just uh, 1 through 11. We'll be referencing that today. We're going to go on to the next couple of verses. We'll get as far as the Lord leads us this morning. My prayer is that you'd hear it and that you'd understand it. Uh, the, during, in this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about how he looks at his past life and he looks at all of his accomplishments and everything that he's done and he looks at, his, uh, of, at, at all of these things and he, he looks at them in light of who Jesus Christ is and he says, it is all loss, it's all trash, it's garbage. Today we would at least say it is crap. That's, that's what the word is. I'm not trying to be crass. That's what the word is. That's a nice way, perhaps, even of saying what that expletive is. The Apostle Paul wants to look at his, uh, his past accomplishments, and he wants to say, it's a bunch of crap. I don't, I don't look at it as though it, it commends me to God in any way. And so he says, I need a righteousness, uh, he says in verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing what's right, from obeying all the rules or keeping my own rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I need God's righteousness for me. I cannot do it on my own. I cannot do it. I cannot be a more moral person. It's astounding to me. It's astounding how people can claim to be Christians, Christian pastors, people who are leading Christian ministries, people who are on TV, people who are all over the place, and they are teaching us a message of moral conformity. They're teaching us how to be good, nice people, how to be more moral, and as a result, like I said last week, we become twice the son of hell as we were before, as the, as the Pharisees were teaching their people in Jesus' day, teaching them how to be more moral. And they, as a result, they're growing further and further away from Christ because they think that they have a righteousness in and of themselves. They are justifying their life in and of themselves in what they're doing. And as a result, they, they need Jesus or they think that they need Jesus less and less. My own understanding, what I have seen over the years, is that church people tend to be some of the most lost people out there. Church people tend to be some of the most dysfunctional people around because they're the people most in need of grace, but the least available to receive it. That's us. That's us. And it's because we go along in life and we have good families. Perhaps we're, we're pretty faithful uh, to in our in our marriage uh, or in our church attendance or the way that we uh, do various things and, and and so forth. But the truth is about us is that there's a deep pride. We haven't considered our stuff as loss as crap. We have considered it as this is what you know. If we have a thought like, "Am I really a believer?" We say, "Well, you know what? I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I've been doing the other thing." And so as a result, we confirm something that isn't true in us oftentimes. 
We need Jesus more than we know. And we should be the people that understand the best how much we need Jesus on a daily basis. He says in verse 10, that I may know him. Now get this, get this. I, I wanna, I'm, I'm using this as a springboard to get into the next passage because it, it really goes together. He says, that I may know him. That I, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now think about the passion and everything that's, that's rolled up in this. He's saying, like, here I am, I'm the Apostle Paul. I was called to be God's servant as an apostle to write scripture and to teach people about God. He's writing the words that we're learning from. Like, he's the guy. And he's saying, like, I want to know him. It would be like Bill Gates saying, you know, I really would like to understand Microsoft Windows. Like, it would just be like, you, you created it. Like, it's, 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 it's you. And Paul didn't create the scriptures, but you get the analogy there. Uh, but the, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this stuff, and he's saying, even though, like, I've had all of these spiritual experiences, even though I've come this far with him, even though I've had these mountaintop experiences with who God is, like, I want to know him. I want to know him. And, I mean, like, who in this room would say, like, I want to know him. I, wa I, I, want, I want to know him. See, I think, I think that this, this might be, I just was thinking about this last night, just trying to, trying to get ready for this morning, and I was thinking, man, is, is, is that where we're at? Is that where we're at? That we would say that in spite of all of the things that I'm doing at the church, or in spite of the fact that uh, I have this, you know, relationship with God. And I've been doing all, all of these various things. Like the truth about me is that I just want to know him. I just want to know him. And so that's, that's what we've got to ask ourselves this morning. Look at how much he says it. I, like I want to know him. I want to know the power I want to know the power of his resurrection. The, uh, what we were talking about this last week is the power of the resurrection. The, the same power that raises Jesus from the dead is what raises us from the dead. We're, we are in, dead in our sins, as Tim was saying at the welcome. We're dead in our sins, and we need to be brought to life. There's a resurrection that must happen in our lives. There is a participation with Jesus in the, in the fact that he suffered. And so therefore, as a believer, I'm not engaging with the idea. I, I'm not just engaging with the idea that I want to know him. I'm not just engaging that I want to know about the resurrection. But I'm engaging with the idea that I want the resurrection in me. And so much so that I want to participate with Jesus in his sufferings. I want to walk with him in these things. I want to become like him in his death. And then he says in verse 11, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, 
some of us might get really hung up on this. Let me, let me speak to this just real quick. What it sounds like he's saying is he's saying, I'm going to work really hard to un- know God, to understand the resurrection, to suffer a whole lot, and I hope that someday I'm going to be resurrected. And I don't believe that's what he's saying because it's couched in between a couple of things that speak to us and tell us it is not about your works, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes by faith. So he's saying, it's not about my works. What I believe what the Apostle Paul is saying right there is he's saying, I want the resurrection in my life right here and right now, and I want to get there in this moment. Paul is absolutely sure that he will be resurrected with Christ. He will uh, have eternal life. But what he's saying is he's saying, I want it right here and right now. I want resurrection here. In my life, I want to grow in Christ. Now, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow in Christ? Is there an appetite for growth in Christ? Is there a desire to see him worshipped and glorified in our lives? That is the question we have to ask. And so after saying all these things, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are immature, let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul is very sure. He's very sure of his salvation. But the other thing that he is, he is, wants to be humble about is this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So Paul, when he's telling us from verse 10 on that I may know him, that I may know his resurrection or the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings. What he's talking about is he's saying, I want this life of Christ in me. I want the benefits of Christ. I want to know Christ. I want him to get in and through my body. I want to, see, I want to grow into him. But then he's very quick to say, I have not arrived. I have not arrived. I have not acquired this. I am not there yet. Now, if anybody seems to have acquired it, I would think that it would be the Apostle Paul, as I said. But the Apostle Paul has this incredible humility about him that says, I'm not there yet. I am not finished. God is not done working on me. I am still going after this. And so he says, I have not already obtained it. Now, let me tell you where I think our Christian weakness comes in. Is that we believe we have obtained all that there is to obtain. We have grasped the things of God, possibly. 
There may be some, uh, some outside things that maybe we're not totally sure about. I don't really worry about all that theology stuff, what have you. But you know what? I'm a pretty good Christian. I've been, I've been walking pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm not in, in, in trouble with the law. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And so I'm not, I'm not really there yet. But Paul says, I have not already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. I'm not there yet. The problem with Christians these days is spiritual stagnation. We lack the fire of faith, and we've traded it for the laziness of religion. We understand and we believe that we are Christians. We understand and we believe the things about God on some level, but we've never um, dove into those things. Like to say that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead is, we say that's a true statement. We'll walk, walk around on Easter sometimes and say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. That's the extent of what we know about Jesus. Paul says, I want it in me. I want to get it on me. I, I want it about me. I want to be about it. And he says, I'm not there yet. But too many of us lack the fire of faith and we are steeped in the laziness of religion, the laziness of thinking that somehow I've arrived. I have made it. I'm there. And I can't think of anything worse than that. Because there's a sense in which we say, you know what? I'm doing good. I'm okay. I'm all right. And yet things are not all right. Things are not okay. You find out where people stand in their faith when trouble comes. When trouble comes, when the child is lost, when the accident takes place, when the things that we'd hoped for forever are dashed to pieces, when those things happen, we find out where we stand with God. We find out whether we've had the fire of faith or whether we've had this laziness of religion being approved of ourselves. And let me just tell you here, that there's a lot of people in religion today that would point their finger at the other side and say, look at your licentious behavior, the way that you've acted, the, the sexual permissiveness that's going on there. And I want to tell you that this laziness from religion is no better. It is no better. It is, it is just the same as avoiding the gospel on every level. And every single one of us, including myself, suffers from this. He says, not that I've already obtained it, and he uses a word. One of my elders tells me he doesn't like it when I use Greek words. I'm going to do it anyway because I want to take them off. I'm not this smart. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It looks like lambano, all right? Uh, and baño in Spanish, as you know, is bathroom. Uh, when I was a kid, I, me, me and my brothers, we used to go to Mexico all the time. My grandparents were missionaries. And we always like to say el baño es cansado, which means the bathroom is tired if you're... Um, and uh, people always thought that was funny, but that's the only thing that we could say. Anyway, it says lambano or labano, so, something like that. In any case, that's the Greek word, therefore obtained. It's important because of this. Look at the next word. I should not have told you that story. Uh, uh, total sidetrack. had nothing to do with the sermon. Let's, re let's pray, all right? Uh, he says, but I press on. I press on. I'm, the, the word right there, different word, means to ride. It means to march. 
It means to row. It means to hasten. I'm, I'm, I'm rowing. I'm riding. I'm marching. I'm moving. The Apostle Paul is like this bad-to-the-bone dude. He, he's, I mean, every, every, everybody looks at him and just goes, dude, the guy just seems like an absolute stud because he's just like, dude, we're going to do this. I'm pressing on. I'm, I'm into this. I'm going. I'm ready. I press on to make it my own. I press on to make what my own? I want to make perfection. I want to make, read verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead in me. And he's saying, I haven't obtained it already, but I just want to tell you, I press on into this. I'm moving into this. I'm moving further towards it. I'm getting closer to it. I want to go after it. I'm marching. I'm moving. I want to see it take place. And so he says this, I want to make it my own. And, and the word that is used there for make it my own is kata lambano. It's, it, it's a further a description of what he said in the first verse, which is, not that I have already obtained it. That's just lumbano. This one is, make it my own, which is kata lumbano, which is to seize or to grasp or to lay hold of. He says, I'm going after this. I'm pressing on. I'm riding. I'm marching. I'm rowing to seize this, to grasp it, to lay hold of it. I am going after this with everything that is in me. I am going after Christ with my life. Man. Like, see, see, sometimes in the Christian church, we believe that Jesus is here for our comfort, and he is here for our comfort. But we believe that he's just here for our comfort. And there are various TV preachers that would tell you that he's here for your, your health, your wealth, and your prosperity. And he does bring those things. But he also brings suffering, and that's not talked about very often there. And Paul says, I, when I know Jesus more, I'm going to suffer more. When I know Jesus more, when I know him on that level, that's going to take place. Do you see the problem here? We've created a Christianity that is rife with this laziness, with this spiritual stagnation that many of us are not saying and cannot say with any passion, like, I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on in this. Many of us cannot say that we are going after Christ on this level. The question is, why aren't we motivated? What keeps us from being motivated in order to press on and go after Christ on that level? What keeps us from actually saying or with our life that I want to know him, that I want to know his resurrection power, that I, that I want to experience his, his sufferings? What keeps us from that? Well, in large part, it's because we revert to the idea that I must have a righteousness of my own. 
See, we come to this point where we believe the gospel. The gospel is the story about Jesus that ultimately says that you cannot work for your salvation, that Jesus must die on the cross for you, and all of his goodness is transferred to you, and all of your sin is transferred to him. But we believe that story, but then we say, okay, I've, I've believed that, but then we get saved, and then we, and then we start going, okay, I, I've got to keep moving. I've got to keep growing. And so sermons like this tend to make us feel guilty, tend to make us feel like, you know what, I'm not. You know, some, some of us are self-condemners, kind of like me a little bit. You know, I, self -talk, negative self-talk all the time. Got to change it. But the negative self-talk, you, you might be saying to yourself, you know what, you're right. I am not pressing on. Like, I'm not growing. I don't really want that. I don't really have that. I don't really desire that in my life on the level that he's talking about. That's, that's in part why it happens, is that we, we've reverted in our minds to, you know what, it does all depend on me. You know what, Matt's right. It is all on me. It's about what I do. But Paul clarifies something here for us. He clarifies let me read it again. But I press on to make it my own, katalambano, to seize, to grasp, to lay hold of, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now look at what, look at what he says. Remember what we, what we talked about here is that it almost sounds like he's kind of doubting his salvation. He's not doubting his salvation. He's not doubting the fact that he's in Christ. He's not doubting the fact that he will be with him. What he's saying is, I want the resurrection in me. What he's saying here is he's, he's affirming that. Yes, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, what does that mean? Well, in some translations, it says, uh, I press on uh, in order to uh, make it my own because Christ Jesus has apprehended me. Apprehend is a possibility for kata lambano there. It's apprehend. It's arrested. It's to stop. It's to seize. It's to grasp. It's to hold him. And so he says, he says, I'm pressing on to make perfection in Christ. I'm pressing on to make knowing Christ. I'm pressing on. Why? Not because I just have the right group of friends. I'm in the right accountability groups. I'm in the right church. I'm in the right community group. I'm in all of these things. No, he says, I'm pressing on. Why? Because Christ Jesus has arrested me. He stopped me. He apprehended me. He grabbed me. He has my heart. He has a hold on my life. And he's undoubtedly referring to his transformation. One moment, he's walking on the road to Damascus. It says that he was still breathing murderous threats against Christians. He had an order to go arrest people that were a part of the way, which was the group of Christians. He's a murdering person. Hatred, anger, wants to kill them. Sat there at the stoning of Stephen holding everyone's garments, giving approval to Stephen being murdered. This guy is a bad dude. He's essentially ISIS. Here he is. He's walking on the road, and all of a sudden, bam, 
God comes and awakens him and opens his eyes to who he is. One minute he's walking in the direction that he believes is right, and the next minute he's apprehended. He's arrested. He's seized. He's grasped with what? The reality that everything that he's been doing is a lie. The reality that all of the good things that he thought counted for something were just crap. The reality that he was nothing. He had nothing to stand before God with. All of the things that he believed were right, now he understands are wrong. He no longer can stand in the face of God and say, forget you, God, I'm going to make up my own moral law. I'm going to do whatever I want. I make the rules in this society, in my society. He no longer could do that. Do you know what it means to be a Christian? It is somebody who has been arrested in one way or another, maybe not exactly the way that the Apostle Paul has, but at some point there is a realization, a real realization, that I no longer believe that I am right and that God is right. He's the ultimate authority. He is God and I am not God. He's the one who makes the rules. He's the one who's done this. And on top of that, he's the one who went to the cross for me. He's arrested. He's grabbed with it. He's changed. Now, here's the thing. No one, this is going to be controversial. No one has made a decision for Christ. Nobody in this room, if they are saved, has made a decision for Christ. Let me tell you what happened first. Christ made a decision for you. And when you get the reality that you did not do it, you did not receive it, then you can begin to see the grace that's involved there. I didn't want it. I was still on the road to Damascus, breathing murderous threats, and he saved me. I did not have any righteousness of my own, and he took me in. I had no idea what I was doing. I was against God in every way, and he arrested me. He stopped me. I don't know when I became a believer I know that I was sweeping a floor in the middle of a building, and God, I believe, said to me, Matt, you could do this all day long, every day. You could manage this. You could do that. You could lead all of these awesome things. You could build massive buildings, and it wouldn't matter a bit. And I walked out of that building, a changed man, and I said, I need to be with God. I was arrested. I was apprehended. Have you been arrested, apprehended with the reality of the offensive gospel? You do not have a leg to stand on. You are not a good person in and of yourself. You may do good things. They will not save you. God does not look at those things and say, you know what? He's a pretty good person. She's a pretty good person. He looks at them and says, he or she uses those as a source of pride to avoid real salvation from me. No one's made a decision for Christ. Christ has made a decision for you. I press on 
to seize it, to grasp it. Why? Because Jesus Christ has seized me. He has grasped me. Look at that. You can't press on without first seeing that Christ is the one who has seized you. And when you dive so deeply into that reality that I was, it was as though I was Paul on the road to Damascus, uh, breathing out murderous threats. I hated my brother and sister. I was, I was this, I was that. I don't remember when I became a Christian. I just was whatever. No, that is the road that I was on, no matter what age I was, when I professed to know Christ. Some of us have never given it a second thought. We've been walking around because we walked down an aisle or maybe because we got baptized or maybe because of this or because of that, but we've never been arrested with the gospel. We've never been brought to the reality that Christ is the one who saved us and that we did not save ourselves. Now, that is a theological point. That Christ is the one who saves us. And I will argue it to my grave. People argue this all the time. And I will say because of this. If you think on any level that you chose Christ. You have missed the point of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying there. Verse 13. Brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own. It's the same word again. Catalambano. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own to seize it, to grasp it, to lay hold of it. I don't believe that I've apprehended this. Now, notice this, beginning of verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it. Not that I've already lumbano it. He says that again, another negative in verse 13. I do not consider that I've made it my own. I don't believe that I've made it my own. What does he want you to know? I'm really serious that I do not believe that I have arrived in Christ. I do not believe that, I have, that, I'm, that I've made it, that I've, I've finally gotten there. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Stop right there. Here's, here's the thing that, that I have grasped. Here's the thing that I understand. My pursuit of Christ is the thing that is not waning. I haven't arrived there yet, but my pursuit of Christ is not waning. And what does he mean by that? He's saying, forgetting what lies behind, straining for, forward to what lies ahead. Beginning of the next verse, I pre well, actually, let me just read the next verse. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying he, it's a picture of a race. Most commentators believe Paul was, was uh, someone who's really into athletics, really into sports, and so he's thinking of a race. He's thinking of the games. He's picturing a runner in his mind, and he's picturing that person running, and they are looking forward. They are not thinking about what's happened in the past. They're not thinking about their failures, and they're not thinking about their successes. They're not thinking about anything that's taken place in the past, and as a result, what's happening is this, is that he has absolute focus on one thing. 
And that is, I want to be like Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want his resurrection life in me. I'm pressing on. I'm straining forward. I view my life as though it is a race. And so what are the distractions that get into our way as we go on in life? Trains is one of those distractions. Just wait till you right before you get in front of the church to blow that sucker, right? What are the distractions? It's all kinds of things. The distractions for knowing Christ. We order our lives. We make our schedules. We sign up for various things here and there. And then we come to a point where we just say, I'm just too busy to follow Christ in this way. I'm too busy to walk with him. And yet, with automation and technology, and with all of the things that we have in life, we're the most distracted generation that ever was. We're, we're so into our technology, we're so into our, our shows, we're so into our extracurricular activities that we come to a point where it's just like, I just flat out don't have the time. Matt, if you knew my life, if you knew what was going on with me, if you knew what, what was happening with, with this and that and the other thing, then you would realize that I just don't have the time to pursue Christ on this level. And I'll say the same thing that I do to everyone who comes to me. You are the one who makes your schedule. In this country, no one's holding a gun to your head. You are the one who signed up for that. You are the one who took on that debt. You are the one who made those decisions. You are the one. We are the ones who have decided what we're going to do with our time. And, and, and then we get to points where we say, you know, I can't be a part of following Christ in that way because I just have too many things. But Paul says, I want to know Christ on such a level, I want to know him on, in every level that I'm going to forget what lies behind. I'm going to forget all my successes, all my failures. I'm going to set aside all of the distractions, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. That's it. The distractions are all of the things that you could add in there. And I'm, I'm with you in this. I have the, those distractions. There's people that my wife and I want to have over, and we're like, it can't happen until June sometime, probably late June. We're busy people. But i got to tell you that as, as believers who are going to follow the way of Jesus, who are going to walk with him, like something's got to happen with our schedule. Something's got to happen. This is a generation of people that are lost in themselves, in ourselves, we are so self-focused that we cannot seem to make the time to serve Jesus in one way or another. And I got to tell you that that has got to change. 
That's got to change for us. It's got to change for, uh, for the sake of our city, for the sake of the people that are around us. It's got to change. What must take place? We have to be people that want to know Christ on such a level that we're willing to suffer for him by giving up the pleasures of the flesh. It may be less time at work. It may be less time on the TV. It may be a myriad of things. And what needs to be replaced with that? A deep affection for Jesus Christ. See, some of us don't even know what, what our affections are stirred by. Like, what are, what are the things that get you going? What are the things that cause you to want to follow Jesus? What are, what are those things? For me, it is music. I listen to, oftentimes, when I'm writing sermons or when I'm just thinking it through, and when I listen to, I find a song that's just like getting me right now, and I listen to that song incessantly. I just put it on a loop. I listen to it constantly. I was listening to Psalm 145 by Shane and Shane last night, just going, oh, man, just thinking through the sermon. It was just, it was exciting me. It was allowing me to just be like, man, I'm so excited about this. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. What stirs your affections for Christ? See, we, oftentimes, we get so lazy as people, and what's happening today is that so many of us say, you know what, being a part of the church is optional because the church doesn't, it, it doesn't save me. And that's very true. That's exactly true. But you know what's not happening? When you choose to not engage in community, when you and I choose not to participate with God's people, when you and I choose to not be a part of what God's doing here, to sit under the preaching of the word, to sing together, and to, to praise him, do you know what's not happening? Your affections for Christ are not being stirred. You're not engaging with him on that level. You're saying this, I am the definition of what is good and right and true. I don't need a community uh, uh, to be a part of me. All I need is just me and Jesus in my Bible. And you know what? That's how cults are started, all right? If it's just you, and I, and I, yes, you should have time with Jesus in your Bible, but if it's always just you, and you're not connected with the church, you cannot have your affection stirred for Christ on your own. God has called you to be a part of his people. Do you know where the, the laziness of religion comes in? It comes in being assured in and of yourself that I'm good with God on my own. And then not being a part of what God is doing. Now, here we are. Uh, it, it's a relatively nice day. It might get nicer or something. And I'm absolutely just amazed. There's so many uh, people here this morning. I'm excited about that. We have a lot of people that come to church on a regular basis. This is not a reprimand to you. What I'm saying is this, is that this generation says, I don't need community. It's just me and Jesus. And church attendance wanes. And I'll be the first to tell you, listen, I know that I got a dog in this fight. Like, hey, I lead the church. I want you to come to church. It's lame when there's nobody here, all right? It's a weird sermon. But I got to tell you this. God is calling you to more. And our goal here is to show you Jesus in so many ways through his word 
that your affections are stirred for him and that you leave here impassioned to know him more. What stirs your affections for Christ? For some people, it's walking in nature. It's, it's being a, a, a part of uh, you know, social justice. Oftentimes, it is utilizing the gifts that you have. And when you, when you think about the gifts that you have and you integrate them with how you're serving in the community or what you're doing, when you think about those things, those are things that can draw your affections to him. When you read the Psalms and, it, and it's talking about like, I just want to know you as the deer pants after streams of water, so pants my soul after you. Like when you read that and you go, aside from that sounding really cheesy, like that's what I want. Like as this animal desires drink, God, I desire you. I want you in my life. I just want you. Can you say that? Can you be a part of that? Can you be in that? Is that what you want? The distractions that come to us that I mentioned even last week are some of us are carrying around sin that we've taken part of at some point in our life. We're carrying it around and we will not let it go. Paul says, it takes complete focus for you to forget what lies behind. It takes complete focus for you to not just forget the, the bad things that you've done, the sin that you've been a part of, but to forget the good things that you've done and to focus on Christ, to focus on what he is doing. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, look at this with me. He's saying, I am marching toward the goal. The goal is to get the prize, toward the goal for the prize. The prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is that upward calling. I'm, I am running. I'm going after, uh, my goal is to get the prize. I, I want to be the one who wins. Who's running a race and not running to win? And the prize is what God's called me to. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's called me to this upward call, he's called, called me to him. If you're a Christian, if you're somebody who's walking with Jesus, the call isn't to just sit and wait and twiddle your thumbs. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. It's not just to sit in community groups and discuss Bible verses. That is good. It is not the only thing. That God has not called you just to sit in Bible studies. God has not called you just to do good. God has not called you just to be a moral person. He has called you to do those things, but it's more than that. It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? One commentator says this, it is the full and complete gaining of Christ for whose sake 
Everything else has been counted loss. It is conformity to Christ. It's becoming like Christ. It's saying, hey, I I wake up every day and I think about this, that I want to be like Christ today. I want to walk with him today. I want to know him. I want it to get in me. I want it to get in other people. It is fellowship with Christ. It's communing with him. It's talking with him. It is the peace of Christ. It's saying, you know what? So I lost my job. So things are falling apart. It's the peace of Christ that's coming up. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus is the prize. And the prize is, I want to be like Christ. I want to have fellowship with Christ. I want to have peace with Christ. I want to have sanctification. I ultimately want not just eternal life in the next life, but eternal life right here and right now. I want to live my life as though God has actually called me to something. And I want to ask you, are you living your life as though you have received Christ on your own? And the proof of that is that you are not pressing on and that I am not pressing on and that, that we, we are not apprehended arrested by how Christ has taken us in. The truth of walking with Christ in that way says that I am pressing on. It is the only motivation. It can be the only motivation for walking with Christ and for being a Christian. Everything else fails. Everything else fails. I must stop there today. Would you bow your heads with me? I just, I just want to talk to you for a second. I just, I just want you to focus on this. Am I pressing on in Christ to know him? Have I ever been confronted with the reality that I'm completely wrong and that I need Jesus and that he's the one who saved me? Have, have I been arrested with that fact? If you haven't, perhaps you need to meet Jesus for the first time. You must trust him today with the reality that you cannot save yourself. There's many of us in here that that know that we're that we uh, that we have Christ and that we're walking with Him on, on some level. And my prayer is that this is an encouragement to you to press on, to keep marching, to run with focus. That's my that's my hope. That's my prayer. So I just want to pray for you this morning. sense of, of change in us. You know, 
Southern Church, I think God has more for Outward Church. I think God has more maturity for us to grow in. So Lord, this morning I'm, I'm, I'm praying for us as a church. Lord, there's so much here. These are such rich passages. Lord, I'm praying that that you would that you would drive us to yourself. Lord, I think there's people in the audience right now who are listening in that may may have a sense of fear because they 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 feel like I don't know that I've ever been arrested by my faith before. God, I believe that that's, that, that is a, a good fear because it shows a desire to want that. So God, would you affirm to them, like, would you affirm to them that they are yours? Lord, may they look deeply into the fact that you have taken them in. They may not have some crazy story like Paul, but Lord, would you, would you affirm to them in their spirit that they are your child, if that is true? God, would you would you work immensely in our hearts and minds and in our lives, Lord, to drive us to know you. Lord, would that have practical implications in our city? That people look at us and say they are different. They use their finances and, and sex and power differently. And it is good for this city. And I want to know more. God, would you do that? It's in your name we pray. Amen.